Welcome to Lighthouse Chapel International, Columbus, Ohio. We invite you to discover the life-changing anointed word of God as you listen to this message by Reverend Gilbert Asamoah. Reverend Gilbert Asamoah is a well-seasoned minister who serves as the General Overseer of the Raccoon Diocese in Lighthouse Chapel International, USA. Founded by Bishop Dag Heward Mills with over 1,800 branches worldwide. Join us for a life-changing experience as you listen to this message. of thanksgiving with our prayers of supplication we come to you with our prayers of intercession Lord this evening may you hear us oh God hear us from heaven and have your way with us Lord So my soul, my soul, live for you alone. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm with. Every breath that I take, every moment I'm 
Pray to the Lord right now. Ask Him to have His way with you. We pray that may you have your way with us, Lord. Have your way with us, Lord. Have your way. Yes, not our will, but your will be done in everything, Lord. In everything that we seek, O oh God Almighty. We pray that may it be your way that you have with us, Lord. Not our way, but your way, Lord. Have your way, have your way, have your way with us, Lord. Have your way. Our Heavenly Father, we say, have your way. Our God, our King, have your way. Have your way, God. Have your way. Have your way, mighty God. Have your way. Have your way. Have your way, way. Have your way oh God. Have your way. Have your way. Have your way, have your way Lord. Have your way. Have your way. Have your way. Yes, Lord. We say, have your way with us, Lord. Have your way with us, Lord. 
have your way, place. Father, have in everything, way. in everything. Yes, in times where we have sought our own way, oh God. This evening we say, forgive us, Lord. And we say, have your way with us, Lord, in everything, Lord. Invisible God, clothing glory and splendor, you are righteous and holy, just in Just 
nothing else we hope in you, Lord. And we hope in you. You are our hope. We hope in you. And we hope. in the Lord alone. We look to him alone. Clothed in righteousness and glory. He's righteous and holy. Just in all his ways. And so that is where our hope comes from. If we have hope in the future because we know our future resides in the Lord. Yes, we know He makes the impossible possible. And so with Him, all things are possible. Father, we thank You for this evening. Once again, we are before Your throne of grace, before Your presence, Lord. May You bless us words of wisdom scripture reminds us that it is all by inspiration it is by your inspiration and it's profitable for instruction, it's profitable for reproof, it's profitable for doctrine, it's profitable for instructing us in the ways of life, it's profitable for guiding us, it's profitable for shepherding us Lord may this evening be a continuation of that shepherding May it be a continuation of the reproach, the reproof, Lord, the instructions for righteousness. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 Oh, somebody put your hands together if you're ready for the word. Amen. Let's welcome Reverend Gilberta Samuel. Amen. I watch myself so that after I've preached to others, 
I myself will not become a castaway. If Paul entertained the concern, the deep-seated worry that he could become a castaway, then we must strive and do everything we can to pay attention to what we are studying. Hallelujah. Wonderful. So, um, the four or five things that we were talking about as reasons why we should study this subject or the standards of a Christian from where people fall off. One is to abide in Christ. Is that not so? That is to remain a believer. The second one is to live for Christ. The third one is to withstand doubters, sinners, opposers to the faith. And number four, to remain active in soul winning and establishing them in Christ. Last week we added to continue to suffer for Christ's sake. Hallelujah. All right. Now, in Hebrews chapter 2, it says that how shall we escape if we neglect so great a salvation? Is that not so? Amen. All right. So, let's look at um, Hebrews chapter 10. Because, you see, some of the verses we read last week, Paul was using very strong language. In some place, he said that knowing the terror of the Lord, we persuade men. Hallelujah. In another place, he said that we are warning every man. So, there is, there is something seriously at stake. Now, if you think of the um, Paul's days, the Roman Empire days, he had a secure job, if you like, in the temple as a tutor, a teacher, a professor of theology, Jewish theology. Hallelujah. And he also had the support of the renowned Gamaliel, who Gamaliel was the, if it is today, you could say he, he would have won the Nobel Peace Prize in theology or in uh, government uh, affairs. Hallelujah. And so to be an associate of Gamaliel was a great honor. Amen. And then not only that, he was also in a tent-making business. In other words, Paul didn't engage in preaching the gospel because he didn't have anything better to do. In fact, it was a great risk that he took for him to leave that secure place of, I mean, he is assured of his meal, assured of money to, to, to make a living, to leave that for a, um, an uncertain profession of preaching the Christ who has just recently been crucified. See, today, 2,000 years later, it's attractive to, to be a follower of Christ. Amen. In fact, the other day, I heard somebody say, they had a former um, classmate who is still in the world, and they say, ah, but this person, in this today where everybody is becoming a Christian, it's, it's actually, it seems fashionable to say that you're a Christian. Hallelujah. But Paul, Christ, it was just within a few years after Christ has resurrected, and when he resurrected, not everybody saw him. Only his close disciples saw him. So that um, to go and preach about somebody who the whole nation had rejected and said, give us Barabbas. We want Barabbas. We don't want this one. You are, it, it is a, it's a financial suicide. Amen. But then Paul called the gospel the glorious gospel. We are going to start from verse 11. As last week we were reading about what some sinners went through before they died. And we always start with the scripture to lay a foundation to, to warn ourselves, to revive ourselves, to reassert our position in Christ. And then we read about what the sinners did to buttress the, the whole um, activity. Amen. Every high priest, every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take, can never take away sins. Okay, he's talking about the Old Testament priesthood. They had to be offering these animal sacrifices. It could never take away sins. That's why they had to keep offering it. The Old Testament sacrificial practice was instituted by God through Moses. Hallelujah. And what was the point then if it could not take away sins? Two things. One was that it was a temporary solution 
okay, to cover up the sins. It couldn't take away the sins, but it will cover it so that you wouldn't see it. Amen. But how many know that that is only a temporary solution? If you're in a hurry, somebody is coming to your house and there's a lot of dirt around and you're in a hurry. And you push things under a place, you put some things on it. It can only survive for the duration of the visit. If the person leaves and you don't actually take a broom and sweep, it will not be long. There will be uh, maggots up there. So in the Old Testament, the animal blood was one, number one, was a temporary solution to cover the sins of the people, to give them a type of a, cl- a clear conscience so that they can operate. But then, but then when you keep going forward, the other part also is that it was a foreshadow or it was a placeholder, amen, for the actual sacrifice of the Son of God. So it says, every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. Okay, continue. But this man, that is Christ, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, amen, Christ suffered one sacrifice of sins forever, he sat down at the right hand of God. Ken Hagen said that you don't sit down until the job is done. Amen. If you give a group of teenagers work to do, and you come and, you know, they are, they, they, they are seated, and the job is not done, you'll be upset. But at least, if you are not working, at least if they see that you are standing, it gives the impression that you are working. Is that not so? Yeah. But if you are seated at one place comfortably, it, it, it means that you are, you are lazy, you are, you are not at, on the job. But Jesus sat down at the right hand of the Father when the job was done. He, his one sacrifice was enough. His blood was able to take away sins. Hallelujah. 13. From that time, waiting till his enemies are made his full stool. Alright? For by one offering, he has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. So this is our status. That by one offering, he has perfected his followers forever. That's why the Bible says that um, we cannot say we have not sinned, but if, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our, our trespasses. So Christ doesn't have to go back to the cross. The power in his blood is able to take care of us and perfect us forever. Hallelujah. But the Holy Spirit also witnesses to us for after he had said before. This is the covenant that I will make with them after those days. That the Lord, uh, says the Lord, I will put my laws into their hearts. And in their minds, I will write to them. So this, I believe they are quoting Jeremiah. Quoting Jeremiah. In the Old Testament, the law was written on stone tablets. Is that not so? And the first one, Moses came and saw them, you know, worshipping the, the golden calf. And he broke it. That's why there's that age-old... Um, Rhythm that what prophet broke all the Ten Commandments, you know, that's Moses, <laughs> amen. So, um, and then the Lord wrote it again for them. But then in the Old Testament, the Lord also prophesied that a day will come that He will make a new covenant, and the new covenant is that He will write His laws on their hearts, amen. So, if you look at First Corinthians chapter 4 alongside Hebrews, you see that one of the, one of the words. One of the operative words that keep repeating itself in the book of Hebrew is the word better. Amen. Comparing the Old Testament and the New Testament. The New Testament or the New Covenant is better. Amen. Alright. It's better because it is established on better promises. It is not the blood of animals. It's the blood of the Son of God. Now, So it says that the laws are written in our hearts. That is why when you're going to do something... In fact, something within you speaks to you, okay? That is the new covenant. That is the different. In the Old Testament, they were instructed that write the law, book of the law on your doorpost, okay? And carry it with you wherever you go. In other words, they had to keep reminding themselves and their children the, the, the code of the law. In the New Testament, it's not that you don't need a written code. You need the Bible. But ultimately, the word has to leave the pages of the book and enter your heart. And you will see that it's not everything that is written directly in the word of God. So, so the benefit of the law being written in our heart is that there are situations that are not defined clearly in the scripture. But the spirit of God using 
the, the spiritual law of God written in your heart, you'll be able to tell this one is good, this one is not. Because if somebody asks you, give me a verse that says you cannot smoke. Do you get it? There is no verse that you, you can use to tell them that smoking is a sin. But then, a person that is working with God, you may not even have read 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 15, or 2 Corinthians 6, where it talks about our body being the temple of the Holy Spirit. But a person working with God, because the law is written in your heart, you see, you see that the law can minister to you, and you see a witness in your heart that this thing, I have to quit. Hallelujah. So we carry, we carry the word of God in our heart. It's written on our heart. And it is because the new covenant is a covenant of relationship between us and God directly. Amen. Through his spirit. Let's go. Then he asked, their sins and their lawless deeds I will remember no more. Alright. Now where there is remission of these, there is no longer an offering for sin. So he's drawing a distinction between the Old Testament and the New Testament. He's saying that the gospel you and I have received is a better gospel. It's a better system. Whereby the sins are actually done away with. Amen. I mean, in the Old Testament, they had a, 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 they had, um, a practice one day in the year where they have two goats. They were supposed to bring two goats and then the high priest will kill one for sacrifice. Do you get it? To use the blood to, 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 to cover the sins. But the other one, the high priest puts his hand on the, on the goat and confesses the sins of the people on, over the goat. Poor goat. <laughs> Do you get it? Confess the sins of the people and then somebody will take the goat and go and release the goat into some forest for the goat to escape. You see, that's why we have the English word scapegoat. You get it. That goat is supposed to escape and go away. And what, what, is, the, what is the goat carrying? The sins of the people. But are you really guaranteed that the goat goes away? If the goat finds itself in the neighborhood of some people who are looking for a goat to steal. <laughs> so you would think that the goat has gone out of the population, which means the sins of the people have been carried away far, 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 far away. Somebody who is hungry meets the goat and catches it and eats it. And the person is still living in the neighborhood. The sins are still there. Do you see? You are really not guaranteed that sins are taken away under the old covenant. But the good news is that, he said, while there is remission of sins, there is no longer an offering for sin. Christ is no longer going to be offered again. Hallelujah. 19. Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. You see, the, the, many people believe that Apostle Paul wrote the Hebrews, epistle to the Hebrews. And people, you and I, we've never been Jewish people. But the people who lived under the old covenant, like Paul, who actually taught the law. You get it. Many people argue that he is a good candidate to have written Hebrews because the, the strenuous practices that you have to live under the law in order to be, to be uh, 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 how do you call it, accepted before God was way too much. In fact, today, I don't know how many people can afford how many animals you have to bring and all that. Amen. So, um, and then also, no, not anybody can go into the Holy of Holies. In the new covenant, through the blood of Christ, you and I can enter the Holy of Holies, which is the presence of God. So it says that, therefore, brethren, having boldness, to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus. So this boldness doesn't arise from our own self-declared righteousness. It doesn't arise from the fact that we have done everything perfectly. Hallelujah. It is because of the blood of Christ that we have the confidence to enter the Holy of Holies. Not in a, in a uh, timid way, but boldly. Amen. Okay, verse 20. By a new and living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh. And having a high priest over the house of God, which is Christ. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith. He's exhorting believers that draw near. Draw near to whom? To God. One of the things 
that we don't take advantage of is the fact that we can come to God any day and every day, no matter what state we are in. Hallelujah. Even if you are, you are falling into some type of sin, or you are falling into some type of, um, you've done something that you are not even proud of yourself. Hallelujah. Or, or, or other people are even looking down and feel that you are not worthy. Before God, God, you, see, you cannot hide away from God. What you have done, God has already noticed it. He has seen it. And the picture we get from the good Samaritan is that, not good Samaritan, the, the prodigal son is that, the father was already waiting outside for the son to come. Hallelujah. And so you and I have a very, very good deal. However, it's not, it's not a license to practice sin rampantly and impudently. Hallelujah. No, but what it rather means is that we can come to God with full assurance. We will never ever have to doubt whether God will receive us. Amen. We would, have you ever offended somebody and you are going trying to make amends or ask and you are not too sure whether they would receive you? And sometimes, even after they say, it's okay, I forgive you. When you see them, you, sometimes your guilty conscience makes you think that they are angry at you. Meanwhile, they may be angry at uh, the African, uh, what do you call it? African market place where they went and, <laughs> and they, they were cheated. Amen. <laughs> it happens if you didn't know. Are you listening to me? So that when you meet the person, they are coming from somewhere, but then you, because of the offense, you are already concluding that, I mean, that previous incident is why they are making their face that way. It's because that's how we have been programmed. We've been programmed not to have a certain assurance and confidence. But when it comes to God, when it comes to God, so long as we come by the blood of Christ, that is a guarantee. Hallelujah. It is a guarantee that there's nothing like you can come to God. People say that, um, you know the man who was healed, who had a blind from, from birth. And I believe in John chapter 9 or John chapter 8. Yeah, when they brought him before the, the elders and they were trying to have him say Jesus was not a prophet or he was nobody. He said, whether he's a prophet or not, I don't know. But I was blind and now I can see. And then, and then they said, give glory to God. Say this man was a sinner. He said, he said we know that God does not listen to sinners. <laughs> that's, that's the statement he made. He said that who can heal he said, since the world began, since the world began, who has heard of someone who has healed someone born blind? Hallelujah. Are you listening to me? And so this full assurance of faith is very important for us to have that full assurance that God would never cast us out. Amen. Having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience. Now look at that. In the Old Testament, they sprinkled the sanctuary with the blood. Okay. But in the New Testament, God is going to the core of the person. He's going to your heart. So by believing in Christ, the Old Testament thing is a symbolism of what the blood is doing in the hearts of people. Okay, let's go to the next verse. Now look at the verse. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Now, this is the new King James. The King James says, let us hold fast the profession of our feet. Amen. Let us hold fast. When is it hold something fast? What does that mean? Hold it tight. We are talking about sliding here. We are talking about staying in power. That, he said that we should hold fast the confession of our feet, the profession of our hope, without wavering. For he who promised is faithful. Amen. When he said without wavering, it means that there is a tendency for us to waver in our faith. And like I said at the beginning, the idea is not that you, you want, we, we are running a 200, 200 uh, what, meter race. There's nothing like I want the first 100 meters. That doesn't count. Right? It is about the finishing. It's about actually going all the way to the end. If you want the first 100 meters, that does not count. Like I keep telling some of the people in, in, in church, if you've gone to school a lot, like you have, uh, what do you call it, um, 200 credits, 
in college, but the 200 credits has not conferred a degree on you. It's meaningless. You haven't finished yet. Maybe you, if you could go and negotiate. The other time, I, ne- I told someone to go and negotiate with the school and see these credits, can it give me an associate degree? Like, it can give you an associate degree in something. Even whatever the name is, it is still a degree. Associate in bushi bushi, something, something that nobody knows. At least you can call it that. But if you have 400 credits, which doesn't give you a title, it means nothing. The idea is about finishing with something. Hallelujah. All right. So we ought to stay on course without wavering. Okay, we are going on the way to verse 31. Let's go. Let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works. The king names that provoke each other. In this, in this whole thing of um, staying power, it is not just an individual affair. It is an individual affair in the sense that you must take the bulls, in, uh, the horns in your own hands and you must know that your destiny lies in your hands and you must know that you are responsible for your own salvation to the end. Hallelujah. However, we are also a body. Is that not so? And so the apostle is saying, let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works so that if you see somebody appears to be backsliding, don't give up so easily on people. Amen. We ought to provoke each other for good, not provoke, provoke each other with anger. Now verse 25 is a familiar verse we all know. Not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some. But exhorting one another and so much the more as we see the day approaching. So forsaking the assembly of ourselves together is one of the things that means that you are beginning to what? Waver from your feet. And so we say, it says that as the end time draws closer, you actually should increase church meetings. Brother Ishmael, what do you think? Yeah, is that consistent with that verse? Exactly, but look at the end of the verse. Exhorting one another and so much more as you see the day approaching. Day capital D. It means day capital D is the end of the world, the day of the Lord. And it says that the assembly of ourselves rather must increase when we are getting closer. Not the opposite. Amen. Verse 26. For if we sin willfully, See, he has described how the new covenant is a better covenant. How the blood of Christ can take away sins. How all these benefits are there. But it does not mean that we should, we should disregard or disrespect the price that was paid. Amen. If we sin willfully after we have received the knowledge of the truth, there is no longer remaining a sacrifice for sins. The Jewish people, every year, they, they, they have a, a time they call the uh, Day of Atonement. Do you see the day of atonement, just before the day of atonement, is 10 days before the day of atonement is the Rosh Hashanah. Do you get it? Rosh Hashanah. So, so between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur, Yom Kippur is the day of atonement. There's a 10-day window that you can, you can repent, right? And confess your sins. And then live a pure life. And then within that 10 days, they say that God would reevaluate your life. Okay. Yes, reevaluate your life and then give you, uh, if, if you continue in these 10 days and you're able to reconcile, then your destiny has been sealed for one more year. Yes, that, that is what they believe. So, so, so um, between uh, Rosh Hashanah and, and the date is sometime in September, sometime it's in October because it's the, based on the lunar calendar. But it's around September, October time frame. So that every Jewish person that is the ten holiest days of the year. Amen. It's not it's, it's the time of no joke. I mean, so it's like your, your, your faith is sealed for one. So if in the ten days you fool around, it's like the, the, the mind is that the, the young couple happens once a year. You have to wait for another one year before you can make this. Amen. So so you see how much you and I have such a benefit that every day. If you confess, God, you can come to God and God can forgive you. But they didn't have it that way. Do you get it? That is why he's giving a warning. That we don't have a repeated sacrificial system like the Old Testament. Next verse. 
He said, but a certain fearful expectation of judgment and fiery indignation which would devour the adversaries. He's talking about the people who disregard the sacrifice of Christ. He's talking to believers now that, look, we have, I mean, sometimes you hear some parents describe how they grew up. Do you get it? And how the conditions were harsh. School was tough. There wasn't a lot of money going around. Um, you know, working and doing so many different things. And then, then they look at their children and say, look, you people have things easy. So when people who have things easy, be comparing that to the people who had things tough, which group do you expect more from? The people that they have a lot of help. Is that not so? Yeah. People that you have a lot. Here in this country, in the university, you can even go and like some courses, some subjects, some exams, there's a do-over. Like, I mean, people didn't do well. They said, okay, we're giving you a review sheet. Go over and if you can improve your grade. It wasn't like that when we were in school. Amen. So that you expect people to do better. So this same standard is being applied here that people in the New Testament are expected to do better. And therefore, the consequences for disregarding Christ and disregarding the, the main tenets of the faith are stronger. That's why we need to stay in this um, faith. Okay, next verse. Anyone, look at this. Anyone who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. So in the, in the, in the Mosaic law, because keep in mind that God was developing a nation. They didn't have a constitution. They didn't have a continental, continental congress. They didn't have a George Washington. Their George Washington was Moses. And the nation is now being formulated. They had to have swift judgment so that people would not rampantly kill people. If you kill somebody, your life will be, will be killed <laughs> in return. Amen. So if two people say that they think you, you are the one who killed this person, two or three witnesses, it's enough. And judgment was swift because keep in mind they were working in the wilderness. They, they don't have a Supreme Court building anywhere. They don't have judges which are being voted on like in the, in the November election. We are voting this judge. No, 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 no. Instant justice. <laughs> do, you, do you get it? But look at the point he's making. Next verse. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose? He said, go back, 28, go back to 28. He said, in the Mosaic law, in the old covenant, if somebody disobeys, he says that who has rejected Moses' law dies without mercy on the testimony of two or three witnesses. He said that in the new covenant, the consequences for disobeying is, is higher. Go to the 29 now. Of how much worse punishment do you suppose? Will he be thought of worthy? Who has done what? Trampled the Son of God underfoot. He's talking about the consequences of having come to Christ and fooling around with the faith and not respecting it. Something valuable that has been put before us that God has given us this benefit of you can come to God. There are a lot of people that you can't just walk into their office. Amen. But God, who is the most important person, he has this free open door policy. That you can always come. And now you are now trampling. He said, trample the son of God underfoot. And then not only that, counted the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified a common thing. So by this, he's saying that the blood of Christ is not a common thing. But when we basilad, when we refuse to come back to Christ, when we refuse to, 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 to return to him, when, when we continue in sin and we impudently think that it's nothing, this is the, this is the venom, this is the the force, the emotion of God. Keep in mind that the apostles who were writing the scripture, they were writing with the emotions of God. Hallelujah. When you are under the anointing, God's emotions enter you. Like you feel for people like the way God will feel for people. And so the, the sternness of the language and the strictness of the test and the warning that is coming from, it's not coming from a, 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 a human being. It's coming, this is how God feels. That when you reject Christ, when you, when you practice sin and you, you reject the gospel, the glorious gospel, it is seen as, number one, you have trampled the Son of God. Number two, you have counted the blood of the covenant as a common thing. Hallelujah. Number three, 
you have insulted the spirit of grace. And the opening statement there is that much worse punishment. Much worse punishment. Hallelujah. We are talking about Basilade. Soon we are going to read about other people who died in their sins. But I wanted to give a scriptural context. Every day we will look at the scripture and we will look at what, how it has applied to some people. Okay? Next verse. For we know him who said, Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. And again, the Lord will judge his people. So far we are talking about believers who. Because we are talking about believers, people who have come into the faith, but then backslid, rejected the faith. Hallelujah. And then let's add 31. Look at that. It is a what? A fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Most people don't have this picture of God. They think God is like some spiritual divine Santa Claus that you can do whatever you like. But you see some Santa, Santa Claus movies. I've forgotten which, which one. That, uh, there's a Santa Claus who actually gets angry at some kids. Because <laughs> some kids are just too obnoxious. And at that point, he has a look. I am Santa Claus, but you cannot just fool around around me. Amen. It is a fearful thing to fall into the hands of the living God. Okay? So, by way of revision of the sinners, the testimonies of the sinners, we read about Tom Paine, did we not? We read about Voltaire. We read about uh, Thomas Hobbes. And then Thomas Cromwell, Thomas Cook, okay. Yeah, oh, it's amazing. I didn't even take notice of that. There are a series of bad Thomases. But the original Thomas, he later came around and became a missionary to India. Amen. I was listening to a certain man of God. He said his hometown, they have the tomb of where Thomas was buried in India. So, um, next one is Robert Green Ingersoll. Robert Green Ingersoll lived in, from 1833 to 1899. That's 66 years. And he wrote about the mistakes of the Bible. That's why he made his, his preoccupation to find mistakes in the Bible and magnify it so that everybody will know that this Bible that you're reading, there are mistakes in it. He was a famous American lawyer, prominent agnostic, he lectured on biblical inaccuracies and contradictions. His famed lecture, The Mistakes of Moses, led one defender of the Bible to say that he would like to hear Moses speak for five minutes on the mistakes of Ingersoll. <laughs> when he came to the gates of hell, that's when he was about to die, he was frozen with terror and he said, Oh God! You see, it amazes me why they always remember God. Oh God! If there is a God, have mercy on my soul if I have a soul. Those were his last words. Does that make sense? Oh God, if there is a God, have mercy on my soul if I have a soul. Sir Francis Gifford, he was taught early in his life about the gospel. You see, that's the saddest part. The people who were believers. Okay? He was a backsliding Christian. In fact, it was expected that he would become a minister. Somebody who was actually on the road to become a minister. Like Joseph Stalin. Who later took over? Who took over Russia in the, uh, after the uh, during the First World War? This he he, he he said to have gone to a seminary training to become a priest, and then he left, and he became such an evil character. So this guy also he was supposed to become a minister, but he left. When he was passing on to eternity, he said, "From where is this war in my heart? What arguments do I have to assist me in matters of fact? Do I say there is no hell when I feel one in my bosom?" <laughs> I am I certain that there is no judgment when I feel present judgment oh wretched that I am whither shall I flee from this that there is a God I know for I continually feel that of his wrath that there is a hell I am surely certain oh that, oh, that I was to lie upon the fire that never quenched for a thousand years to purchase the favor of God and to be reverted to him again but it is a fruitless wish Millions and millions of years will bring me no nearer to the end of my tormentor. Eternity. Eternity. He says that as the distress of this man increased, he was asked whether he wanted some people 
to invite to, to be invited to pray for him. You see, there's a place where you cross a line, where you've gone so deep that even when grace is shown to you, you don't even see a door of escape. So this guy actually had the chance. People say, let's call somebody to come and pray for you. Look at what he said. Tigers and monsters. The people, <laughs> the people who are offering to bring somebody to help him pray. He's, he said, you tigers and monsters, are you devils to come to torment me? Will you, will you give me the prospects of heaven to make my hell more intolerable? Then he said, oh, the insufferable pangs of death. And with that, he died. Those were his last words. William Pope, a born-again Christian and knew the love of God. But he backslid when his wife died. So it's a very, it's a, it's a tragedy. His wife died. And it pained him so much. It's the one you, you go, you have a tragedy or some sad event in your life. That can become a trigger if you don't hold yourself strong. Hallelujah. So he, when his wife died, he, he began to hate God. And he began to follow Tom Paine. You heard about Tom Paine already. So William Pope wanted to follow Tom Paine. Not long after he backslid, he contracted tuberculosis. That is um, William Pope. Okay. And he became a leader of a company of unbelievers who ridiculed everything religious. This was the, the, a classic Barcelona who said when he was dying, by the way, they used to kick the Bible and tear it up. This group of unbelievers. So when he was dying, he said, no case is comparable to mine. I cannot revert. God will damn me forever. One of the exercises of he and his friends was to kick the Bible about the floor and tear it up. Friends who were present in his death chamber spoke of it as a scene of horror. His eyes rolled to and fro and he, as he was lying on his bed, he lifted up his hands as he cried out, I have no contrition. I cannot repent. God will damn me. I know the day of grace is past. You see one who is damned forever. Oh, eternity, eternity. Nothing for me but hell. Come, eternal torments. Do you not see? Do you not see him? He's coming for me. He was seeing demons. He said, do you not see? Do you not see? He's coming for me. Oh, the burning, burning flame, the hell, the pain that I feel. Eternity will explain my torment. And with this, he breathed his last. These are the feet of sinners who die as sinners. Who impudently reject. What are the three things? Let's go back to verse 29. Or was it verse, verse 29? Yeah. Three things as we close. When you, you backslide and upon every effort to bring you back, you turn your back. You have trampled the Son of God underfoot. You have counted the blood of the covenant by which you have sanctified a common thing. And you have insulted the spirit of grace. May God deliver us from this, any one of these things. And may we remain faithful all the way to the end. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Put your hands together unto the Lord and stand up to your feet. Commit yourself to the Lord even as we bring him an offering. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you so much for your love for us. We appreciate you. We look to you to be the one to keep us. We can't have confidence in ourselves to be able to make it all the way on our strength. And so we give our hearts to you and with that we give our offerings. Receive them, Lord. Use it to promote your work and increase us even as we serve you in the name of Jesus. Amen.